and welcome to the Shivari Study Podcast. I'm Wicked Ren, and today I have on Nick. Nick goes by he and pronouns, and you'll know Nick as Tyrope Take Photo on Instagram. Nick is a rope top, rope instructor based in the Seattle area, and also an award winner. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about this very prestigious award that um, you won in 2019, I believe? 2019 cutthroat dungeon co-champion so uh so very big deal this is a very big deal it is a big deal i was specifically told by the people who put it on that i needed to put it on my uh fat life profile so uh yeah so um there was this competition that happens apparently yearly um uh called cutthroat dungeon and over several rounds you're given uh, various ground ties to perform, but each time your opponents have bought challenges for you. So uh, we had to tie a TK, but but my bottom had floaties on her arm, or I had to tie um, a hog tie in with ribbons instead of rope, I love or um, I had to tie a predicament, but I had to have a spoon in my mouth with a plastic egg in it. And anytime the egg fell out, I had to stop what I was doing and go and replace the egg. I love it. You know, rope tops have had it too easy for too long. I feel like this is good for you. It, oh, you know, yeah. Like everybody should suffer a little bit more and get to get, get to get to taste a little misery sometimes. And then the highlight of it was you had to like explain why you'd done this ridiculous thing. Oh, I love it. There's another thing about you that I think is very unique. We've done maybe 20, 25 episodes, and you're the second ex-professional poker player that's been on the podcast outside of the wonderful Tom. Yeah, I mean, Tom Perrelli and I have an unfortunate amount in common. Uh, yeah. People, people when, they, when they know one of us and meet the other one, they're like, oh, I get it now. There's two of you. That's bad. It does um, seem like you're almost the same person in a lot of ways. There is a heavy amount of, of snark on both sides, um, playfulness, humor. I have more hair, but yeah, other than that, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Whenever someone is nervous about being on the Shabari study podcast, I want to say, but I don't say, I want to say, don't worry, Tom did it. You'll be fine. (laughs) I very, I just listened to the Moabites episode and I really appreciated that he was talking about community management. You were like, oh, and then you get someone like Tom out there. And yeah. he, was, he tried to be he tried to be like nice about it. And you were like, no, some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Such a highlight. It's so funny because I did forget that I brought up Tom on that one and kind of, you know, maybe poked a little bit of fun at Tom. But hey, it's hard. It's hard not to. Tom can take it. And listen, if if temporarily becomes a running theme through every episode of this podcast, I think everyone would be a little bit happier. Yeah, we're doing fine if that happens. <laughs> well, you talk a lot about motivations and rope and why we do the things that we do. And when I look through your Instagram profile, it's really specific and it feels really authentic to you. So I think I would just like to start this with asking about your motivations. Like, Why do you do yeah. what you do? Well, so like the thing that I love about rope is that it can go in so many different directions. That rope can be this thing that we're doing um, to connect with a person. Um, it can be about sex. It can be about um, getting a really hot photo or a really hot video. It can be about pushing yourself and your partner athletically. It can be about 
grounding yourself in your body and getting meditative and all these somatics things. There's all these different reasons and motivations in rope. And, um, and that's, that's what I love about it. Um, and I find my motivations varying wildly from time to time. Uh, there was a time when my, the only thing I wanted in the world was to like come up with new cool ties and positions and like get the hottest, coolest, weirdest photo. Um, and I found myself recently, like just over the last few months, tying much hornier rope. It's been uh, like not necessarily directly about sex, although sometimes, but also just about like having that like sexy, dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't like, I lack the words, but like almost yeah. perverse motivations and vibes and feelings in the ties. Um, but I think I tie for a lot of different motivations depending on who I'm tying with and and what the feeling is at the time. Why do you think you found sexier rope, dirtier rope, more quote unquote perverted rope from being more just trying to do weird stuff and come up and make your own mark on rope, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, so... I look back at the photos I started taking when I was just starting in rope or just starting in suspension. And it's all, it's all sex stuff. It's like, I'm having I'm fucking people in suspension and like receiving blowjobs from people when they're in the air and like tying vibrators onto people and splayed body parts and everything. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I'm very nerdy, analytical. I get excited about the technical aspects of it. And um, and I think also I would see the amazing things other rope tops were doing. I would see these like cool ties that I couldn't fathom Mm -hmm. or amazing photos or positions. And I was like, Oh, that is the thing. That's, that's the exciting thing. And um, I think, you know, we all we all do rope because we're trying to feel a certain sort of way about ourselves or get like get that serotonin booster or whatever that that like neurochemical boost for one reason or another and one of those is like what you get in the moment while you tie and one of those is you know you post a photo on the internet and people are excited about it and i think for a while it you know it was a little more of a focus on the second one of like oh i want yeah i want to make these cool things and i want to be like the, like the rigors that i've um, followed and appreciated and looked up to. And I think that after you've done that for a while, not that it, not that it's a bad motivation by any means, but you know, sometimes you got to come back to your horny roots and yeah. Um, yeah. And make it about butts a little bit more at the end of the day. Yeah. That can only last so long. It's also exhausting to try to post things only to gain followers and to gain likes and things like that on social media. Very hard. It, Yes, you you find yourself you find yourself thinking about things that really shouldn't matter to you and really do like oh what what time of day do I need to post this thing when 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 is my engagement the most and like okay well at the end of the day that probably shouldn't be your motivation. Isn't it funny how most art does that where you start and all you want to do is make it and you were making some really perverted stuff and it was fun and then you got technical with it. I feel like that's what everyone does, whether it's photography or painting or whatever. And now you're going back to just kind of doing whatever you want to do. It's a neat arc. I feel like it's very common. Yeah. I mean, I don't listen. Like, I don't think I'm done with with coming up with new ties or trying to take hot photos or even, yeah. you know, wanting wanting attention on the Internet. Um, it's it just happens to be where the flow is with me right now. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that everyone should get back to their their roots, especially if their roots are particularly horny. You talked about making new ties and new shapes. Yeah. What did that look like? Again, like early on, I think I wanted to prove myself in the open. If I was like, if I can just come up with a tie that like becomes one of those canonical ties, like so-and-so's hip harness or this or that or whatever, if I can just do this, like then I'll have made it. Um, and I would, I would just come up with these ridiculous things. Uh, I, I came up with a, uh, fully suspendable hip harness that like was also a, a strap on harness. Like you could like fit a, fit a dildo in it like quite nicely. Um, yeah. it was not a niche that anybody wanted. Nobody was like, Oh, we need to be able to suspend yeah. the strap on. Um, <laughs> really serving a wide market. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I do all these things and nobody ever gave a damn about any of them. And my friends would be like, Nick, you got to stop with this. And, um, but you know, I was always innovating and coming up with stuff. And, um, and in the last couple of years, I actually have come up with things that people seem to like. I have. Before we get there, let me ask you something. Did your friends actually say, Hey Nick, stop doing this. Was that, Mm -hmm. is that a real thing? No, I don't think they told me specifically stop trying to invent ties. I think that every time they just told me this particular tie sucks and nobody cares about it. But I don't think they were like trying to discourage innovation. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is I feel most people want to do that in the beginning. When you start something, you immediately want to be like the person that's been doing it for 10 plus years. And you want to try to come up with something and people are like, actually that's already been fixed. And it was fixed 15 years ago with this thing. And I also think that that's hard within kink because there's not a way to really research what has happened 15 years ago. There's no journals on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think to some degree, like if you come up with a thing you distribute it and then if it's good, it will get yes. wider, wider, whatever exposure. And then people eventually you'll get to a point and be like, uh, actually, so-and-so made that seven years ago. And you'd be like, oh, well, <laughs> um, and of the things I've made, you know, apparently one of the ties that I'm most excited about that I, that I came up with is similar to something that I don't even know if it's a canonical tie. There's like, 30 year old diagrams or maybe 50 year old diagrams of somebody doing a similar thing, but it's tied completely differently. What is it? it? Uh, so I have a tie, um, called the bimbo tie or sometimes, uh, the thembo tie or the himbo tie or the presentation tie, depending on your relationship to the word bimbo. Um, it is a non-suspendable, uh, four, three to four rope ground tie, because that's what everyone's been looking for is, is like a, a finicky four rope tie that they can't get in the air, but uh, it sort of ties. It brings the shoulders back, the elbows in ties, the wrists to the hips, and then like forces a bend in the lower back. So it sort of forces your shoulders back, your chest out and an arch in your back. and makes you stick your butt out. I love that. Um, which, yeah, as it turns out was really all I've been looking for in this world. <laughs> You're like, I found it. And then I found it on the thing. Have you found the the diagrams for that stuff? I and mean, it's got to be kind of cool. Yeah. Somebody showed me this thing. They were like, oh, there's this. Yeah. It looks like it's from the 50s or something. Um, it's tied completely differently. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, I think if you actually put it on someone, 
it might kill them. Like it, it seems like much more of a theoretical thing uh, yeah. than something actually people did, but it does definitely have a similar effect. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I do that with photos and things where I'll come up with an idea and then I realize, oh, that's been done 80 times. But as long as it doesn't come from a place of ego saying, I want this to be my legacy and you're actually making right. stuff that you like and is contributing to the world, I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, another another thing that I've come up with recently and as I distribute this, we'll find out whether there's a similar thing out there is um, we were teaching people uh, in, in one of the classes, the organization I teach, we we're teaching people this vibrator harness to, to, to tie a vibrator onto someone. And it was so finicky. Um, and I got so annoyed with it that I went home with a partner and made them stand there for 90 minutes getting intermittently vibrated while I figured out yeah. a good version of, or a better version of a vibrator harness. So now I, f I feel like yeah. maybe I have come up with the canonical vibrator tie, but who knows, maybe it already exists somewhere. I love it. So it was like you were doing some labbing and then your partner had edging sessions. Yes, really exactly nice. that. Yeah, yeah. It's great. <laughs> Out of curiosity, do you connect rope or do you tie off everything usually? Yeah, I usually, I usually connect rope unless I'm, you know, there's certain schools of rope, sort of more Naka-esque, where, where you just tie on a new rope every time. If I'm trying to do something in that vein, I'll usually mm -hmm. tie on a new rope, but most of the time I connect rope. Has that always been the same or has that changed? It's always been the same. I, not to get like too into schools and dogma, but if, when I started um, seven, eight years ago in Seattle, there wasn't as much of like a focus on Naka style rope. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would always just like connect rope. And now it's become much more fashionable to do well, with I, the Naka stuff. I am curious. What was it like when you started? What was the current trend of so Seattle rope? Seattle was very interesting because um, it didn't have the exposure to outside instructors that a lot of other places had. Um, so it was very much this tradition of Western rope bondage. Um, people did not do TKs. Apparently, apparently TKs came to Seattle about 15 years ago and two people immediately got radial nerve damage like you do when you tie a TK and you don't know what you're doing, you suspend it. And so like the conference of the six actual competent uh, Seattle rope tops happened and they got together and we, we can't tie these things. They're awful. Wow. Um, and that became, that was just like the rule in Seattle is you don't, you didn't suspend TKs and nobody even really tied TKs. Um, and so when I was coming into the scene, it was sort of this forbidden fruit almost okay. where like TKs were treated like this ultimate tie that you could do all this like cool suspension stuff in, but you weren't good enough to do it. And like, uh, you know, that was for somebody else. So that was for people who are more advanced and they weren't tied on the ground uh, for scenes. Like nobody was just like scening with a TK. It wasn't, it wasn't clear to me early on, like, Oh, this can be a hot thing. You just tie this on to your partner and you're groping with it and your body's against their body. And there there's a bondage involved and they like it. And then it comes off. Um, it was just this like very suspension oriented mindset. Um, so that's something that I hope shifts both like in Seattle and other places as well, that, that, you know, sometimes these ties, the point isn't about what you can do with it suspension wise, but just what it's like going on and off. Yeah. 
I think that no matter what you tie, that's something that has to be learned where it's not about the tie you're doing specifically. It's about how you're making each other feel. But I do have a question. How did you learn how to do a TK? When was the first time you did it? Uh, somebody at an early rope jam I went to in Seattle taught it to me. And I'm sure I tied a horrible, horrible, horrible TK. Yeah. And then um, there was someone who was starting to teach uh, rope classes in Seattle who'd done a lot of study in Japan. And so I, uh, I learned TKs from that person and then traveled and learned more. You have a cool little FAQ on your Instagram. I really like it because you say in-person instruction is the best, but if you can't find it, Shibari study is the second best, which shout out to Shibari study. (laughs) But also for very free, there's YouTube stuff. And in the rope world, we always kind of talk shit on YouTube and how bad it is. But you can learn stuff from there as long as you do within context. If you're not trying to suspend someone and do all this kind of crazy things. I think people are very freaked out by safety stuff and they should be in some context, but like if it's not going into the air, there's a minimum to how much damage you're going to do to someone. As long as you're not like tying rope that cinches around their neck or face or some other like incredibly nervy part of the body, you know, any tie you get off YouTube, if it's not going in the air, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Agreed. And I think also people don't realize like just like how much their community can be a resource too. like just show up at events. I know it's terrifying. I know that like, it's hard to go into a place where you feel like everybody else knows each other and you don't know anybody, you don't know how to behave or whatnot, but like, it really is a pretty welcoming community for the most part in my experience. Same in my experience too. Speaking of rope safety, I know you have thoughts on this. I have so many thoughts about rope (laughs) safety. Uh, I have, I have definitely read every single post in the FetLife Rope Incident Reports group. I, Every once in a while on Instagram, I'll just sort of like ask questions to learn more about people's experiences with various safety and incidents. Um, I have one of my hot takes about rope safety is that I feel like people are more freaked out about fainting than they need to be. And if someone who's more of a medical expert than me wants to like come along and tell me I'm wrong, that's fine. But I've talked, I've talked to people, I've talked to friends who are medical doctors who are also in the rope world. And other than like, you know, falling down and conking your head and dying, which obviously isn't great. Um, if you are suspended and you're not going to drop and you faint, it's basically a nap. As long as you're still breathing, as long as your body's still functioning, like, yeah, there's nothing horrific going on there. Naps are great. Everyone loves naps. And like, as a rope top, I don't think, I think there's this focus often with rope safety is like cutting people out of rope. And if there's one thing I can talk people away from it's trying to cut people out of suspension during emergencies um i think that we need like more of a focus on like physically supporting the person with your body with furniture call somebody else over have them support them lower them to the ground try and be in a controlled way which you don't want to create is an uncontrolled drop um like the extra 20 seconds you're saving them from cutting suspension lines is not worth dropping them out of suspension yeah and then like I think your main responsibility as a top when someone faints in your rope is creating a good environment for them to regain consciousness. in. if they're, if you're freaking out, they're going to be freaking out. They're going to be disoriented. They're going to come to and be like, Oh no, something horrible happened. Yeah. And if you create this welcoming environment and you're like, Hey, you went out, but it's fine. Then like, it's fine. I think that's a 
sorry, I'm just starting to rant here, but I think that's this thing in kink in general is that how we perceive events often is very colored by how those events were handled or like what was the emotional tenor or you know, subsequent events. And I don't want to say that like it's okay to go around hurting people physically or emotionally, but just as important as whether you do hurt someone physically or emotionally is how you handle it and how you repair the relationship afterwards. And I think that's the thing that people often don't get because it's very easy to get in this like defensive mind space of like, oh no, I have to protect myself or protect my reputation or did something wrong. Or I don't even want to think of myself as like someone who created this. But if you handle it gracefully, like it doesn't have to be a big deal. Yeah, it's not if you get hurt, it's when you get hurt. And the majority of the time, physical injuries are not that bad. Yeah. But the emotional side is a completely different topic. That is really, really difficult to deal with because we don't have structures in place for that in the kink scene, in the rope scene. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's very easy to give people the checklist of like, do this, do this, do this, do this. You won't injure someone in rope suspension. But you don't have that, like, like you're saying, you don't have that guide map of like, here's how to navigate these relationships, these relationship issues that come up so often. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some people, sometimes people just like, aren't good fits for each other. And yeah. that needs to be okay, too. And I think also we have in kink, it feels like we don't have ways to say that something was bad without framing it as a consent incident. Um, and I don't like that because someone's just like a, sh sometimes someone's a shitty partner or like a shitty person and you don't need to frame it in terms of consent. You just be like, this person sucked as a romantic partner and I yeah. wouldn't suggest anybody date them, yeah. but like, they're not going to go around like groping people. And we need sort of like a little bit more nuance in all of these things to be able to be like, okay, well, they're not a monster, but also they're not great. Yeah. It's so difficult to do because really the only way we connect is through Instagram, FetLife, yes. things like yeah. that. And it's just not possible to, we have Google sheets that go around and things like that, but it's just very, very difficult for any kind yeah. of real accountability and learning like that. Yeah. I, I heard a phrase I really like, which is that call outs only happen at one volume that like once, once you say the thing, like it's so hard to like, say like, okay, they did bad, but they only did this bad because people are, you know, it gets yeah. blown up. And that's not to say that I want to acknowledge that bottoms have had like a really horrible time in rope historically. Like there's just been, if you go back five or 10 years and look at all of the big rope tops who are headlining the cons, like none of those people are around and all of it's because of like yeah. shitty behavior for the most part. So I don't, I don't want to minimize what, what rope bottoms had to deal with of by course. any means. Yeah. Even with how a call out works, it doesn't really work because all it does is make that person leave and then they go and they offend again and they get new partners and those people don't know anything that's going on. It's just a bad cycle. Call ins work better than call outs. But the issue with the call in is you have to have somebody that can mediate that and make it happen. And there's nobody that can really do that because it's a hobby for people. It's a scene for people. Yeah. And I know people who've been a part of accountability circles and tried to do that like mediation in between work and gotten just completely burned in the yeah. process. Um, I think the thing, I think the thing that affects these things 
is in terms of like accountability and processes and call outs and all of our call-ins is relationships and community that like, if I'm really close to someone and I, and I create harm with them, like, obviously I'm going to be invested in making sure that they come out of it feeling better. And, um, and you know, if I have a group of people who I'm really close to, then I'm going to be invested in, you know, I don't know, doing the things that those people are encouraging me to do to continue to be a part of that community. Um, so the more that people are a part of a community and the more that they have those connections, I think like the better chance there is of, of having those things. So the, the, the point is to like, not just like exclude people when they fuck up, yeah. but to be inclusive and to be a supportive environment be like, Hey, I really like you. And yeah. like this thing needs to change. Yeah. There's obviously things that are exceptions to that rule. Um, like really extreme cases, but I imagine the majority of those cases aren't super extreme. Um, but yeah, it definitely does start in your local environments at the functions, bring them in that kind of stuff. Right. And listen, like I know some people who've had patterns of behavior where I'm like, I, I cannot even interact with this person anymore. Like it's just, we're talking about dozens and dozens of things, but when someone, you know, people are inevitably going to fuck up Yes, that and and it's how it's how they proceed from that and whether they continue to make those same mistakes over and over or whether they sh- make change that like ultimately determines how worthwhile a person they're to be with. Yeah. Yeah. And how they react to that and stuff. I would love to talk a little bit about rope bombing because you have yes. a ton of that on your page. Yeah. 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 Uh, that was another thing where, you know, I would start in rope and I would see people, um, do these crazy photos in crazy places. And I was like that, I love that. Um, and especially during the early pandemic, you know, I lost my job one month into the pandemic. Uh, my primary partner, um, uh, is a teacher and, um, so she has summers off and we just hiked every day. We would just, you know, I would like look up, places we could go, all the band structures or whatnot. And um, yeah, and we would like tie off of these things and, and each thing, it was cool because each, each setting that you're in is a new thing and it inspires different shapes and yeah. different ways of interacting with it. Um, what is, is it the thrill of being outside and having to work quickly and efficiently? Like what is the thrill around it? I think the thrill is, um, it's a great question. I think the thrill is, uh, is adapting to a new situation and just like, if it gets so formulaic, I think for me, you know, you, you tie in your, whatever your rope room or your local dungeon and it's the same thing over and over again. And maybe you're doing slightly different things, but, um, new constraints or new inputs, end up with new outputs. And so, you know, if I'd be in a place like maybe I'm underneath a railroad trestle and we've got like these wood beams that are crisscrossing and we try and tie something that was geometric and would mirror those lines or you'd have something like a setting that's like, oh, you're in this garden and it's very serene and we try and do something that like looked more relaxed and elegant and drapey and... Yeah, just trying to, like, respond to a thing. I think constraints lead to creativity. I agree fully. There has to be constraints with things. I hate in just a blank page. Blank page is the worst. So stressful. Yes. And, and 
just as a top, like speaking to bottoms or just or anybody I might ever tie prospectively. Like I always need that input. You you know, you go and you're like, tell me about yourself, tell me what you like, blah, 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 blah. And when people tell you things like that starts to shape these ideas and this creativity, I get excited when someone I'm going to tie with for the first time has like, oh, I have shoulder issues here and I can't do this and yeah. I can't do that and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, awesome. Like I get to like take on this challenge of finding a way to deal with these set of circumstances. And when someone's like, I don't know, surprise me, like anything's good. Then you're like, I don't know. Like, yeah, you're like, I don't know what, like I tell this story a lot. I love to cook. And when people are coming over for dinner, when they say I eat anything, it's awful. But if they say I don't like X, Y, Z, and I love fish, you're like, fuck yeah. Now I have constraints to work into. Or a lot of people think that vegetarians and vegans are annoying to cook for. I think it's fun. As a a meat eater, I think it's fun because now I'm going to think about stuff differently. Speaking of confluence of rope and cooking and vegetarianism and veganism, um... Uh, I go to Burning Man every year, most years, um, and do rope stuff there. And I have a metamor is planning this event for this upcoming burn. And this is, for those who haven't been to Burning Man, this is sort of par for the course in terms of like silly insanity. His idea was he wants to cook a bunch of fried chicken and then have us tie people up in sort of like chicken wing ties um, and then have people like sexfully fed fried chicken while they're tied to a thing um, and just sort of like assembly line hundreds of people through this if we can. Um, so that's part of what I'm trying to organize right now. And one of the issues I'm running into is that like a lot of the people who uh, might be willing to volunteer as feeders or tires are vegetarian or vegan. And they're like, that sounds like a great idea, but also the chicken. But also, that is pretty yes. funny. Yeah. Nothing sounds worse to me than being in the desert in like 110 heat being fed chicken in a rope but i'm sure (laughs) there's some people out there that really really gonna love it (laughs) it's gonna be really successful it's weird you think you wouldn't want heavy food out there but like i find myself like craving that Mm. like i mean don't go like (laughs) i I don't want to be so it's funny you know (laughs) <laughs> a lot of the things that I really like are things that I made fun of for years. Yeah. So like, like 15 years ago, I remember people like trying to get me to go to Burning Man. And I was like, why would I, you know, why do I want to go to this thing? It's freaking hundred thousand people in the desert, all expressing their individuality with the same hat. Yeah, like yeah. that's so stupid. Like, why would I ever do that? Or even, even rope bondage. Like I got into rope bondage. I had this. Um, partner, she'd been more. I was just getting into the king scene. She'd more experience in the king scene. She'd done a lot of rope that she'd liked. And at the time, I was really into like impact and rough body play. And she was like, "Hey, what do you think about rope?" And I was like, "I don't know. It just seems sort of like dry and dull and boring and stale and slow. Like you're just gonna stand there while I tie you up. What's the point of that?" And she said, "Well, bitches love rope, so figure it out." And I was like, "You're like okay." Fine, but I'm not going to become one of those like tiresome shibari assholes who suspends people from the ceiling. Yeah, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to learn some like quick utilitarian dirty ties. Yeah. And then, and now skip to years later and I'm the most tiresome yeah. shibari asshole possible. So, yeah. You got a whole room for it. Probably you get tatami mats. I, I, I do not have a tatami mat, but I do have a room for it. Like we're going to get you a tatami mat. <laughs> like, oh, that's what you need hey, next. you know what? I, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I do have a question about your relationship to the camera because your username is Tire Up Take Photo. 
I think it's very funny. You do a lot of rope bombing, which is primarily camera focused because it's about mm-hmm. capturing that moment. Yeah. How does the camera play into rope bondage for you? Okay, well, first thing I want to call out is that I need to acknowledge that I'm a horrible photographer. It's not like, true. Thank you. That's very kind. I think, I think that I have very, I've got ideas about framing the positions I want, like modeling, how I want a thing to look and I can make that happen. And then like in terms of actually using the camera well, I'm just like the worst, Um, but I'm learning. Um, Yeah, but that, I feel like I do want to say something about that. And it's that shoot on auto. You know, do. it doesn't 100% matter. I, do. I shoot on auto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use natural light. It just doesn't fucking matter because the subjects are cool. You talked a little bit earlier about having a bridge with lines and you're going to make lines and things like that. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. take that photo on a potato. And this isn't to you. It's just like yes. my general thoughts is that yeah. you could take it on a foot phone and that photo is going to be good because it's all about what you're taking a photo of. I mean, it was up until like a year a year and change ago, I was just like, everything was on an iPhone and yes. I got a camera. And frankly, like, I don't know if you can tell the difference, uh, picture quality wise. Um, the camera is interesting. Uh, we talked about motivations, like it changes, it changes the motivations. It changes the way you interact with your partner. Like when I'm doing photo rope, it's much more, you know, in a scene, uh, I want to be in charge. I want to be driving the bus. I like, I want them to like, just be reacting to what I'm doing. And it's all about like me imposing myself on them or can be. Um, we're doing photo rope. My expectations are once around uh, communication and sort of the power dynamic in the scene are different. It becomes much more collaborative. Yeah. I've been lucky to work with incredible bottoms. Um, my primary partner, uh, Alice, one time at Bandcamp on Instagram is uh, an incredible bottom and so relying on those people to um you know communicate what they need in terms of uh comfort sustainability to help me come up with ideas in those spaces um it's just like an entirely different process than it is if you're trying for for a different motivation absolutely can you talk a little bit about the precautions about the preparations and things like that you take when you photobomb things Yeah. Uh, Well, so the one thing that I'll say, and the world is not happy about a mask person tying up a femme person, Um, you know, a lot of times, and I live in a very progressive area. Like I I live in Seattle. People here are pretty open minded and there's still a lot of good natured checking in where people are like, hey, is that consensual or is this a crime? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> how, how bad a thing is this? So yeah. one, just like having having your bottom, if if it's a femme bottom and a mask top, having like the bottom be like, I'm great, like everything's fine, make yeah. them really like don't push the suffering in a place where where it might be interpreted as a, a non-consensual act. Yeah. And I would say like if you can have a third person along who's a spotter, uh and their femme or just like one other femme person along somewhere. So it just doesn't look like four guys in the woods murdering a small woman. It's like, that is, that is the number one thing that that I've learned. But yeah, um, think about, think about lighting, think about onlookers and onlooker management. Think about, uh, 
the safety of, of the thing that you're tying off of, like evaluating, this is a thing that I've learned about sort of like evaluating materials and sort of hard points in nature. I have a, a, a friend who insists on me pointing out that they are not an architect because apparently like you get kicked out of architecture if you say you're an architect, but you're not, but they have some of the training that architects have. And so like, I will send this person photos and be like, how safe or not safe is this thing? Um, it turns out I was very close to destroying a historical bridge by uh, trying to suspend somebody off of it. And I'm glad that I checked in with them first. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> the um, unsung hero of road bombing. Right. And I, when I say I was close to destroying a historical bridge, I was also close to dropping part of a historical bridge on my road partner. So maybe I should like focus on that part. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've been involved in rope for about eight years and you're just starting to teach. What are some of the things that you're excited to uh, teach? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm excited to teach things. Well, so my first like pure rope class that I'm teaching all on my own is about, um, dealing with emergencies in rope suspension. Um, just because that was something that I felt like my community could use, but, um, I want to, I want to teach things. My favorite classes weren't harness based. They were like, here is a principle that you can apply um in various situations so like rather than be like here's my tk it was like here's this actually i'm just going to shout out my favorite rope instructor of all time is this person named lizard uh she is apparently like completely disappeared from rope but she was in sort of like the baltimore dmv area and i took maybe like half a dozen classes with her at cons and every time was just mind-blowingly good and i could I could yammer about her forever, so I'll try and cut it short. But she would teach things that would be like, here's like a cool, choky addition you can do to an upper body tie, and here are the things that make it work, and now you can tie this as an arms-free harness, you can tie it as a TK. Here, here, are, here are the building blocks that you can add to the things that you already know and use. And that's the kind of stuff I want to teach. So one of the classes that I have in um, sort of in the barrel in preparation is... Um, incorporating Naka panties, if people are familiar with the tie Naka panties into vertical suspensions and how to like um, just make everything easier. Cause I know a lot of people have a lot of issues with vertical suspension stuff. That's the number one thing that makes people faint is uh, that sort of like vertically loaded waist rope. These people have those like hot, sweaty, fainty, nauseous, vagal reactions. And so, you know, for people who've tied, We'll get a little harnessy here for people who tied uh the butterfly harness with the naka panty edition um it sort of loads more into the thighs and under the butt and the butt's a great place to take load with rope um but it doesn't have to just be the butterfly harness. you can tie other structures um and still sort of load into that so it's more of a proof of concept of like you can do this and make everything easier for vertical suspensions uh at a con we were playing around with this and we suspended somebody from just like from just under their butt and their hair and just like did that. And it was shockingly comfortable. It also sounds cool because you can take away the knock panties and then have that waist rope. And then maybe before that person gets to a point where they're going to faint or something, you can like put some uh, tension on the knock panties to just give some relief there. Like it just, sounds like it's just more options. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of options. And, uh, yeah, and that's 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 all I want people to have is more options and more troubleshooting for the things that they've found yeah. to be obstacles. 
uh, I think a lot of people think like, oh, I can't do TKs or I can't do vertical suspensions or I can't do this or I can't do that. And maybe it's like you can't do it in the one way that you've been trying it. And there's like other things, yeah. other things to uh, come to. I'll say this also about teaching. Uh, this wasn't the question, but I know that when I was first taking rope classes and learning rope, I, I would go into classes, especially like early suspension classes. And the top would tie this thing on their bottom and I would tie it as close as I could and my bottom couldn't handle the thing. And um, I tried not to be shitty, but like some of you'd be like, oh, like what's wrong with my partner? But the thing was that the, the person teaching the tie wasn't calling out. I chose this tie to teach because it's a thing that works really well for my bottom my partner and acknowledging that that like people have different strengths or or think or challenges in rope and rope suspension and that like just because you see people doing this insane thing it doesn't mean that they're like super tough in everything it means that they're super strong in this thing and finding out what works for your body and what doesn't work for your body and learning to adapt to it is is that's half the game it's like you're trying to follow along with some pattern that Mm -hmm. you've seen once and then trying to just simply remember the pattern and it's difficult to even give qualified feedback as a bottom because I can't really tell you if the tension is on or off because we're both trying to just keep up right with I've never been in this I don't know what it's supposed to feel like yeah like yeah maybe this is supposed to be like dissecting my midsection in half who could say well Um, I was gonna say on your other thought there with having someone teach a harness without saying kind of why they're doing it i heard someone i can't remember who it was critique when teachers say things like this is how it works for me but it's going to be different on your body and as a teacher it's your job to know how it's supposed to work on someone else's body that's why you're teaching right right? yeah 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 Yeah, i you know i've been I've been doing rope, as you said, eight years. I'm just starting to teach now. And part of it was I'm not happy teaching a class being like, here is a tie that works well on my partner. When I show a tie or an idea or a system of things, I want to be able to adapt it to other people as well. So I want to know not just like the primary thing, but all the questions that are going to come out of it. Yeah. Yep. That's the concept of teaching, understanding how it's going to work on multiple bodies and being able to see all those pitfalls because if not you're just really demonstrating what it's kind of a show and tell between you and your partner it's a demo absolutely yeah and i think and i've heard people say like you don't teach to 100 percent. you don't teach to the limit of what you know and what you can do you teach to like 25 percent, 50 percent, whatever you have that in reserve so that like when people have questions or yeah whatever like you know more and you have that you have that in reserve yeah even with that thought whenever i see people i've been tying for 10 years the things that they will ask are so minute like i was in a class at the bank and my friend leaf asked about how someone was tying their single column and mm-hmm. how they were doing this one little specific thing with the um with the bite and this and that and it was like so small but it was awesome the funny thing is is that like when you start you don't know anything and so it's drinking from a fire hose. Like you'll take a class and you'll be like, oh my God, that's yeah. so much. And your brain is so full. Um, I would go to like cons in my first year or two and just be like, 
holy fuck. Like, I, there's no, I'm going to retain all this. And of course I didn't. But if you get even like, if you remember even a quarter of it, you're doing great. And then, you know, the more you learn and the more you've done it, if you learn one new thing that you get to use, that's exciting. Like, yeah. I, you know, if I go to a 90-minute class and there's that one thing that they show that I'm going to incorporate into my time, yeah. it's well worth it. Yeah. Well, that only happens with a lot of time and a lot of repetitions and things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What are your upcoming classes? Do you have anything, like, scheduled to teach? I do. Um uh, locally in Seattle, I've got I've got an emergency management class coming up in two weeks. Emergency management and rope suspension. I especially especially call it emergency management and not emergency descent because I feel like people are always trying to like get someone out of suspension as fast as possible. And sometimes there's better ways to manage emergencies. So give me the uh, bullet points. Give me like the quick three bullet points of the class. One, don't panic. Okay. Two. Most, most times that a bottom is going through a rough time, they will be, they and you will be better off if you just physically support their body for a little while, while you think about how how you're going to address the issue rather than like trying to bring them down immediately. Like you can lift them with your arms, you can get underneath them and squat them. You can put a chair underneath them. You can have call someone else over and help carry them. Just like take a little bit of the load off give them a chance to breathe and give yourself a chance to think rather than just like, Oh God, I gotta get them down. Uh, that's number two. Number three. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but uh, fainting is not, we've never talked about the fainting. Yeah, fainting yeah. is not as bad as people think. Yeah. Uh, it's going to happen and handle it gracefully. Actually just handle, handle things gracefully when they happen, I guess is number three. Yeah. Things are not as intense as they seem. Yeah, I think it's really easy to catastrophize. Like, oh, no, I did this to my partner. Oh, I'm a bad bottom. Or, oh, I'm a bad person. Or, oh, I'm irresponsible. Yeah. But, you know, it's how, it's how you handle it. It is. I would, you just said, I'm a bad bottom. I'm this, that. I would like to hear a class about how we talk to each other in rope. Because I feel like a lot mm. of the times, if someone has to call it, and it's always a bottom saying, like, I can't do this anymore. I need a break. I need to come down. That quantifies it as a failure. And that's yeah. really harmful in words. And yeah. it would be a really cool class to like talk about reworking conversation structure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you need to call it, like that's not bad. That's you did a good job. It's, that's it's, the it's, thing. Yes. It's, it's if you let yourself get injured, that's the bad thing. If you yeah. like try and tough it out and, and break something like that's, that's the bad thing. Taking care of yourself and advocating for yourself yeah. is the thing that we need. Because if you, if you're, you know, as a top, if I'm tied with the bottom and they don't speak up for themselves, yeah. that's when I'm terrified. Yeah. I tied with Kissing Deadly Doll a bunch. And then we tied and I was spent. And it was a very short tie. I was done. And I was, I got done and I apologized to her so much. I was like, I am so sorry. And she's like, stop saying you're sorry. I'm happy. Because this is what I wanted to do to you. I wanted you to get to the edge and not be able to handle anymore. And I was like, oh, now I feel good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's very easy to feel like, oh, I ruined the fun or, oh, I failed or, oh, I wasn't tough enough. But like, that's not, that's not the point of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in wrapping this up, I want to thank you for being on. This is an awesome conversation. I learned a lot. Very, very cool stuff. Where can people find you? You said you have some classes coming up. Is there anything else coming up you want to tell us about? 
So yeah, so I think that class, emergency management class, I'm teaching a uh, rough body play class. I'll hopefully have links on my tie rope teach classes Instagram account. Uh, I try to okay. I try to keep my uh, accounts separate because like I realize that most people are going to my main account to like look at hot pictures of rope and butts and like not necessarily be advertised to. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Rough body play class then, and then um, we'll have this class about knock up handies, making everything easier in vertical suspension. That's going to be coming soon. I don't think we have a date set just yet. Well, I want to thank you for being on. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's a pleasure to, it's a pleasure to be a part. Of it.